0: Hi, and welcome to Healthy Options. This is Cynthia Swan. And today, my show is about empathy and nonviolent communication. For those of you who are able to tune in for the January 1st show, you got to hear my guests, Peggy Smith of Nonviolent Communication Instructor and Terry Lee Cookson, Naturopathic Physician, speak about health and nonviolent communication. Also, um, we're continuing now today this theme. For those of you who missed it, and if you're interested in the topic, I hope you'll go into the archives and give us a quick listen. And introducing Peggy again, I want to just let listeners know Peggy Smith is the only certified nonviolent communication trainer currently living in Maine. She taught school in Maine for 32 years before deciding to devote her full-time work to nonviolent communication. She brings her extensive teaching skills, humor, and presence to this work. Peggy has a keen interest in connecting people with their innate, compassionate nature. She's a lifelong, she has a lifelong interest in spiritual traditions and fostering compassion. She is a student of Zen teacher and peace activist Thich Nhat Hanh. Peggy lives in Lincolnville, Maine, where she and her dog, Tumatter love that name, love to explore the shorelines and the woods. They greet the day watching the sunrise over Islesboro. I do want listeners to know that um, <clears throat> March 22nd and 23rd in Belfast, Peggy's involved uh, in 2014 uh, with this WERU fundraiser. She tells me this is the third year she's doing it, so I'm wondering if this is an annual tradition now. And also I just want listeners to know that <clears throat> she has a host of articles that can be found at, on, online, www.main nvcnetwork.org backslash newsletter hyphen archives dot htm, and I'll have her speak about that as well. My other guest today is once again the brilliant naturopathic Dr. Terry Lee Cookson, and I'm thrilled to have them, who practices in Augusta. And Terry, I can't remember what's the phone number,
1: 207-557-2557.
0: So let's continue this conversation um, about nonviolent communication and empathy. So I want to just kind of open it up to you, uh, Dr. Cookson. Terry, Terry, and have you talk about um, the four chairs, Uh, a brief overview of the four chairs that Peggy so eloquently laid out for us in January, and how those options help to uh, diminish stress Mm -hmm. and encourage empathy, which we're going to really explore more fully this morning.
1: Okay. Um, And this is something that I actually use in my office. Uh, When people seem stuck, um it's it's a good way of of um uh, uh opening up other options for how to see the world so chair number one is uh something happens and i'm busy blaming you or i'm blaming someone outside of me why did you do this why anyway you get the it's idea your fault. We're, we're very good at, at saying it's your fault and this is why um chair number two is when i say oh I was so stupid. Why did I do this? Why did I you know, why didn't I do that? Um so it's blaming myself. And we're, we're 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 very well trained in in doing both of those things. This is um basically what our culture teaches us to do. But to um to get more uh closely in touch with who we are, our innate self, um we we can use uh chair number 3 and 4 to do that. So chair number 3 is we notice what happened, but then rather than finding out who to blame for it, um, I can say to myself, oh, I'm feeling scared, I'm feeling hurt, I'm feeling, you know, to get in touch with what my feelings are and, uh, and use those as a, as a signpost to what are the needs that are underneath that are saying, th- that are very much alive at that moment. Um,
0: so if I'm feeling scared, my need underneath that might be I, w- I need to feel safe.
1: Right. Or I need connection or I need uh, community,
0: mm-hmm.
1: whatever, uh, whatever need is that is making its presence known in a more painful way. And then chair number four is uh, once I've established that connection with myself is saying, oh, it's the curiosity. I wonder what's going on for the other person.
0: So I wonder how they're feeling. So that's the four chairs, Peggy, that you um, spoke about in our first show in January.
2: Exactly. I, I want to add one thing, that uh, to be careful not to start to equate a certain feeling with a certain need. So it's, it could be, seem intuitive to say, I'm feeling scared, I need safety. But in fact, it's, my experiences were much richer than that. I could be feeling scared because of the need of tenderness, or the need of love, the need of acceptance, the need of recognition, the need of connection. It's so easy to say I'm feeling scared. I need safety. Uh, that I think is in itself very limiting. So go deeper into what
0: you're you're saying. To to I want to say people, richer as okay. opposed oh, richer to deeper. deeper. Okay, richer, richer, richer mm. levels of of expression.
2: Yes, a self-connection, richer levels of self-connection. That's where the ah comes from, Uh, and that release of stress is when I'm – because to me, safety itself can become uh, a shell that keeps me from connecting to the more vulnerable, tender, and um, hungry needs Mm -hmm. underneath. So
0: in the um, the realm of nonviolent communication – We're wanting to explore these chairs three and four to allow us to have a richer experience of ourself and and life. Yes.
2: And so that we have authentic connection, authentic harmony. We often say, well, I won't speak up because I value harmony. Mm -hmm. But what we get is inauthentic harmony. We are only having harmony because I'm shutting up. Mm -hmm. And what we want is authentic harmony, which actually comes from when we're fully explored what's really alive for everybody. So we don't want
0: to deny these parts of ourselves. We want to bring them all to the table, so to speak. Exactly.
2: The internal banquet that serves the external banquet.
0: Okay. So one serves the other. Now, how does this relate to empathy?
1: Oh, wow. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> you just left me speechless. How does it or, or what
0: is empathy in, in the realm of nonviolent communication, Terry or Peggy? What is empathy?
2: Mm. So um, I will take a moment to say that we talked about four chairs. There's also another set of four in nonviolent communication. Uh, Marshall Rosenberg, who developed this model, um, talks about four. In stages of the process. The first stage is making a clean observation, an observation that's not mixed with any kind of judgment. Once I get clean, and that's what actually happened, okay, what is actually the issue? From that, I connect to the feelings. In chair three, it would be I get clear about the observation, I connect to what feelings are alive in me in relationship to this observation, Then I follow those feelings to the needs that are alive in me. And from that, I make a request, both of me or you. Okay, so those are the four steps, observation, feeling,
0: need, request. All right, I want to jump on that already, on observation, because a lot of times no two people observe things the same way because they have a different point sometimes or space where they're coming from. Mm -hmm. So what happens in that What happens with
2: that? Yeah. So we define an observation of what a camera could record. So that could be part of the conversation, just getting clear about what the observation is. But we don't have to get too hung up there. We don't have to. But the idea of the observation is to be aware of the stories we start creating in our minds about um, the motivations of people. Maybe a story would help. A story would be great because I'm
0: thinking of just somebody seeing somebody on the street crying. Yeah. People could come up with five different, well, probably 500 different reasons why that person is crying. And is
2: that projection? Is that intuition? Is that, you know, what is it? Exactly. But the observation is this person is on the street and they're crying. That's the observation. We're not putting any backstory to it. that's what you mean.
0: There's no, okay, okay, got it. It's just what you see is what you get.
2: Exactly.
0: That's observation.
2: Yes. And then you say, well, I intuitively understand that they are motivated by blah, blah. That's when you're into a different realm. You've left the observation and you're adding something that's not observation. Okay. So observation is one. What you see is what you get. Right. Then there are feelings. The feelings lead me to the needs. And from when I get clear about the needs, then requests happen. This is where I ask for what I think will make life more wonderful. Nonviolent communication is a a way to be very powerful in asking for what you want. Instead of denying
0: your needs, you're identifying your needs, and you're learning how to ask for them in a way where there's a better chance of getting them met (laughs) exactly well and i I know you don't like that word getting needs met but i mean well, well where there's a better opportunity
2: that the other person will say yes willingly they'll you'll receive back a willing yes that not through coercion Exactly.
0: Or passive aggressiveness or, um, yeah, blame and shame, but where it's coming from their heart and they say, I want to do this. Yes,
2: because when in our culture, um, we have been conditioned to say yes, even when we inside we're receiving a no. Sometimes we don't even hear our own no. We've been so, uh, suppressed it so You need
0: help? Of course I'll help. I've got five different things that I have to do today and a deadline, but I'll drop everything
2: for you and then I'll be resentful and stew in that. Exactly. (laughs) So we really want to help people see that we only want them to say yes if they can do it from a pure open heart, knowing that they're also nurturing needs by saying yes. So it's not, um, we could have a whole show on requests
0: Yeah. that I, uh,
2: I want to say here because you used the term passive aggressive. Mm-hmm. And I want to say that through nonviolent communication, I have come to take that label. Right. And understand that that is a term we use for people who have been uh, cultured to say yes, when they really meant no. So when someone says yes to me, when they really wanted to say no, or when I've said yes to people, when I really want to say no, one of three things often happens. Either I do it, but I resent you for it, or I make a balance sheet of owing. So now you owe me big time because I did this for you. And that throws our relationships out of balance. The second thing that can happen is that I literally forget to do it. Literally. And then I start to get labeled, I label you or you label me passive-aggressive. Because you did that on purpose. And Pat, to me, any behavior that I label as passive-aggressive, it just means, oh, that person said yes when they really meant no. They just may not be aware of it.
1: That reminds me of a story uh, that Pia Melody tells about um, asking for what you want. First off, figuring out what you want. And Pia
0: Melody being? Um, she... Uh, In the realm of psychology, she talks a lot about codependency. Right, exactly.
1: She's written a book, um, Facing Codependence. Um, She works at the Meadows. Um, Anyway, and she uh, has done some talks in Belfast uh, years ago. Um, But she tells a story about asking for what you want, asking for what you need, and then tracking the response, because it's easy to say, I want it, and then, you know, run away. Um, Asking for what you want, asking for what you need, track the response, and then celebrate the No. And she says, celebrate the no. Why would you celebrate the no? Because if someone says no to me, that means I can trust that they're going to take care of themselves. I don't need to be thinking, okay, they said yes, but do they mean no? Did they, uh, you know. And, and I tell people to celebrate the no, even though it seems like a really strange thing. Well, because the then you
0: also know that person will always tell you the truth. I can, I think
1: or, I've got or a better that chance that, that of It might yeah. be an
0: assumption, but I mean, you, you could pretty much say, well, this person's going to take care of their needs, so I don't have to put my energy taking care
1: of them. What I like to say is, I don't have to have their boundaries for them. Ah. You know, I know that uh, there are some people who I know are just probably going to say yes when they mean no, so I'm much more hesitant about asking them. So then I'm having their boundaries for them. I'm not putting them in a position of. Yeah, that's where so exhausting. Listening. Isn't it though? And it's so inauthentic because now, you know, it does feel wonderful to be able to do something for someone. Um, But if if you've said yes to me enough times when you meant no, I'm not going to ask you again. And then that next time might be the time that you were ready to do something.
2: And also, if we can hear within ourselves, I mean, we're not 100% one or the other. Let's face it. So uh, I'm a um, a young, I'm a mother of a young child who's screaming for the fifth time in the middle of the night. There's a part of me that just wants to roll over and go to sleep. And another part of me that decides to get up and take care of whatever the issue is. Now, I can do it out of being caught with my no, I'm not getting enough sleep, I'm not, nah, 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 nah. or I can realize, well, I'm actually saying yes to something too. It's not 100% one or the other. To me, part of it is tracking what percentage of me wants to say yes and what percentage of me wants to say no. And that's all about self-awareness. But even when I say no, I'm saying yes to some of these beautiful innate human needs that we talked about in the January 1st session. So behind every no, there's a yes to some need. Can I be curious and express that when I want to say no? And when I receive a no, can I get curious about what yes you're saying what need you're saying yes to when you say no to me? That's what. That's how I don't take it personally. Mm-hmm. It's no. a lot of
0: self work. This nonviolent communication. I mean, <laughs> it's a lot exciting? of
2: exploration of
0: self. It, it, uh which is great. And I mean that that's the goal of most of the spiritual paths and psychological paths and transpersonal paths. Um, but I can I I can feel from this point. Well. Maybe that's not the right way to say it, but, I, but that I, I, could, I could potentially see some of the listeners saying, God, that's a tremendous amount of.
1: But think how much energy we put into the way of life that, that we're doing. Well, last time we talked about sustainability. Um, it's not sustainable the way that we are having our interactions now.
0: Well, that's and and that's a good point because I was thinking about this whole um, somebody the passive aggressive we I, we've identified where you're saying and I've found myself in that situation um, that I'm saying yes when I mean no and I've also found myself on the other end where I'm like gosh I don't think I should ask because I this could be really a problem and then I'm living through this big drama in my head and it's exhausting. Mm-hmm. And I, I've wasted an hour in my head of this monkey mind stuff going, blah, 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 having this conversation. And so I guess nonviolent communication is a great process because you can cut to the chase and go in a realm where you're going to actually get an uh, increased level of well-being versus um, an ulcer from stress.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so I think of it, I, I I mean, it's not always fun, and but... Um, I think of it more as I want the opportunity to have inner play as opposed to inner work. Mm. You know how we contract often when we say this sounds like a lot of work, and ah, it's actually a process through which I can free my energy. So I, you know, I'm
0: I, we we're talking about there's a language. Mm-hmm. It's like nonviolent communication. Words are very powerful. Mm-hmm. And not only the words, it's not just about semantics, it's the definitions, because some of us don't have the same definitions. Mm -hmm.
1: I I did want to just follow up on what Peggy was just saying. Um, You know, if I go out cross-country skiing, I could see that's a lot of work. I'm sweating, you know, but I'm out there in nature, I'm uh, taking in the sights and the sounds, I'm exercising, I'm, you know, it's wonderful, but I could see it as work. You know, climbing a mountain is work, but... uh, but that's what we're here for. We're not here to just sit on the couch and watch t v. You know we are here to I agree, to do but our I human. think
0: there might be people who think that they want to check out sometimes and sit on the couch and watch t v because of any number of reasons. and but
1: checking out sometimes is probably just what we need. you know if we need to rest, we need
2: um, the need of rest, the need of ease, the need of solitude mm-hmm. are we come to see that, oh, I'm nurturing that need right now. So you're listening to Healthy
0: Options. We're talking about nonviolent communication and empathy. And my guests are Peggy Smith, a nonviolent communication instructor, and Dr. Um, Dr. Terry Lee Cookson, a naturopathic physician. We're at 89.9 in Blue Hill, 99.9 in Bangor, and streaming WERU.org.
2: So I'd like to bring empathy into this now. Because I said there are some components, observation, feelings, needs, and from that making requests. The thing is that this is all uh, grounded on empathy. Because if empathy is not present in the mix, then it's just one more way to try to manipulate people. And what does empathy mean in this model? Mm. So for me, empathy, and I want to acknowledge that empathy is starting to have a lot of different meanings. Uh, Even the research on empathy is, uh, you can look carefully at the definitions and see they're referring to different things. So for me, I'm thinking about empathy in the form of presence. I am being present in a very powerful, energetic, calm, accepting way. To me, that is, and being present for what is not rejecting it, not clinging to it, but being with. So that is how I'm defining empathy in this moment. Great. Okay. I want to be with parts of myself. That's chair 3. I want to be with parts of you. That's chair 4. In Going back to four the four chair model. In the four chair model.
0: And so how does empathy enrich our lives? Hmm.
2: Ah, uh, there's so much I want to say about that, and I know we had talked about perhaps also discussing how the fact that our culture doesn't uh, cultivate empathy is having its own re, um, mm-hmm. observable results. Right, uh, Terry. I'm wondering if you would open to talking about that. I would love
1: to. Thank you, Peggy. Um, this morning, I was reading an editorial. It was talking about um, the, how prevalent mental illness is in our culture. And it was talking about it not in a, uh uh-oh, we have this problem, what can we do about it? It was talking about, let's not stigmatize people with mental illness. And stigmatizing is is a way of expressing our fears. It's a part of the herd mentality. You know, when we were were individual clans that needed to make sure that we fit together totally, uh, any outlier was a threat to the safety of the clan. Um, but we've evolved well beyond that. We don't need to, you know, be fearful of the outliers. So, um, so stigmatizing obviously is not uh, is not beneficial for for humans as a as a species anymore. Um, but the part that really interested me in the article was that it was talking not about we have rampant mental illness. What can we do about it? Which you know, if we had a rampant and HIV,
0: any, when we had rampant
1: HIV, and still we were right. up and, in and arms
0: about how we could, you know.
1: Right. If we have a physical disease, um, we're more likely to say, oh, we have a problem here. What can we do about it? And not that our approaches are always that helpful. Um, you know, we have rampant diabetes, so we investigate more and more drugs, as opposed to saying, oh, what in our diet and lifestyle might be contributing to this? Um, But I was thinking about that rampant mental illness, and uh, as I was walking my dog this morning, I was saying, okay, if you've got thorns all over your body, you can say, oh, well, I have thorns all over my body, and just leave it at that. Or you can say, wait, there's probably some reason behind this. Oh, is it because I've been walking through the raspberry patch? Oh, that could do it. So I then have a choice of walking around the raspberry patch or putting on protective clothing before I go into the raspberry patch, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we've got rampant mental illness, rather than be complacent about it, how about if we take a look at what's behind it? So um, I was thinking about that and thinking about uh, one of the things that Marshall Rosenberg said in his in his book, um, uh, non-violent. nonviolent Communication, A Language of Life. And he says... Um, my theory is that we get depressed because we're not getting what we want, and we're not getting what we want because we have never been taught to get what we want. So he goes on to say that instead we're taught to be good, you know, we're taught to be nice as opposed to uh, as opposed to learning to ask for what we want and then tracking the response and celebrating the no. To throw Pia melody into the mix. Mm-hmm. Um, so and I was in a nonviolent communication practice group. We met for two years. And we went through the uh, the workbook that went along with this book, and um, when we got to the part about requests, all of a sudden, you know, talking about um, observation without judgment and evaluation. Okay, good. We can you we can you, you move that? You can do that. that. Yep. Oh, feelings. Okay. Well, we have this list of feelings. Good. Okay. Uh, we can start to understand this is a feeling and that's a thought. Okay. Mm-hmm. Good. We're good with that. And needs. Okay. That was a little tough. But then it's like, okay, I can see. Oh, basic human needs. Oh, it was actually kind of a relief to, to get to To put that on the table. Yeah. Yeah. But then it came to the request part, and all of a sudden we're all just like deer in the headlights. And uh, how do you ask for what you want? How do you ask for what you want? How do you know how to ask for what you want? So now I'm going to throw this the ball back to Peggy.
2: Hmm. Well, what, one of the things I think that we want that we don't get very much of in our culture is empathy. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I want to really explore this empathy. And uh, one day, a friend of mine was showing me a photograph of, her, of herself holding her new baby grandchild. And I saw the expression on my friend's face. It was like pure acceptance, pure love, pure joy. She wasn't the mother. You know, she didn't have to worry about when to feed the baby or change the baby. It was just this pure acceptance. To me, that's an expression of empathy. She was being with this baby. So a few of us are very fortunate when we're first born that we get to experience someone being with us in total acceptance. Now, some of us also are fortunate enough to receive empathy when we're leaving this life. And to me, that's one of the benefits of hospice. They seem to have really developed some very powerful ways of helping their volunteers hold presence, Mm. this calm presence for someone who's dying. There's nothing to do. There's nothing to fix. Mm -hmm. But you're being with. You're just with them. Yeah, it's beautiful. Mm. So some of us, if we're really, really lucky, we enter and experience some empathy, and some of us, if we're really, really lucky, we get to experience some empathy when we're on the way out. And to me, nonviolent communication is a beautiful process that I'm hoping will bridge those two so that we can all experience empathy throughout our life mm-hmm. and not just those precious uh, transitional times. First minutes and last minutes. Yes. <laughs>
0: it would be nice to have other
2: guests. Right? Yes. Empathy is all an innate the human nice. need that we all all are hungry for all the time someone who um is willing to be calmly present with us no matter what it is that's alive for us right now and even that we can offer that to parts of ourselves so there's self-empathy as well as external empathy do you think that that's why people love their
0: pets so much because i'm a dog person not a cat
2: person so i don't receive empathy from cats but definitely from dogs (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah that that sometimes yeah we 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 feel that we have that from an animal,
1: and it's not just receiving it from the animal it's being able to give it yes. as well that's actually, I think why i 'm a cat person uh-huh. is because I can just shower this cat with ah, with this love, empathy, acceptance, and
0: and just being there as the cat is licking its you know preening mm-hmm. or whatever, yeah, being in that moment
2: and I think that's an important part of need. The needs flow in all directions. It's not, I need this, meaning it has to come directed at me. It, when that need is feeling really nourished in me, it automatically just flows. It's like water. Hmm. It just flows. So it's, it's not a towards you uh, that empties me or from you that fills me. It's, can we think of it in flowing in all directions? And it's enough to go around. It's never this feeling of lack that yes. somebody's
0: getting and therefore someone's not. Exactly.
1: There's a, <clears throat> excuse me. There's a wonderful exercise that Peggy does in one of her trainings um, that has just totally transformed m- my relationship with my mother, if nothing else. Oh,
0: so now I want to hear
1: this. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, she, me too. <laughs> <laughs> so the, this exercise, she said, um, picture a, an interaction that wasn't going well. And I think we we wrote it down. And she said, um, uh, okay, what was it that you were feeling? And we wrote that down. What were you needing that you weren't getting? And write that down. And now, um, you know, conjecture. What do you think the other person was feeling and needing that she wasn't getting? And, um, and so I, I did that. And, and one realization I had was, oh, I think my mother was needing the same thing I was needing, which was to be heard. Um and we both had that that need, just crying to be met. And then she said, okay, now picture a time when that need was, was met. And you were still using that word then, so mm-hmm. I, that's how I translate it now. Um, picture a time when that need was met. Now, what was the feeling that you had when that need was met? Take away the story. Take away, you know, who it was that was hearing you, etc., and just hold that feeling. Now go back into that situation that wasn't working well, already filled, brimming with that feeling of that need being met. And and how does that change it? So I start I started doing that with my mother and saying, "Okay, I know what it feels like to have that need met. Okay, I can now just go and and fill that for her."
2: That's empathy. Yeah.
1: That's
2: empathy, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it's responding to life from the fullness of our needs mm-hmm. instead of the lack. We often go around in our society thinking we're missing out, we're lacking, these needs are li- mm. lacking. You have to give me this. And we, our requests are, you need to fill my lacking needs. Whereas what Terry's describing is a way we connect to the beauty of the needs that are already alive in us. No, in fact, because needs are intrinsic, they're, they live in me as an energy. They can't be given or taken away. You cannot take away my needs. They are already here in me. And, and a big part of fulfilling a need is recognizing it first and then honoring it, getting connected to the fullness of that need, and then bringing that fullness even into challenging situations.
0: That's a real interesting exercise in self-examination, I think, from mm. being a real neophyte. I'm, I'm in the NVC mm. uh, world, but it's, it's a lot of self-examination.
2: It's, uh, to me, a way of living my life from its fullness instead mm-hmm. of its deficit. Mm-hmm. And it, that is sort of countercultural. We've been talking about how our culture affects us. And if I live in a culture like we do that's constantly bombarding me with messages that I'm unhappy and i'm ha- unhappy because i don't use the right toothpaste or drive the right car or have the right partner or send my kid to the right school I, that's why i'm unhappy the, it's i'm constantly being told that my happiness lies outside of me well another and, way that i've heard this talked about is giving one's giving your power
0: away yes or your authority yes and and, and not uh you know it's like uh if you don't decide, I forget what the exact expression is, but in other words, he who's lost gets bossed. You know, kind of like, you know, if you don't have your own internal mechanism and you don't understand that, you're going to be meeting this outside of you where you're getting tossed around feeling someone's always telling you what to do instead of taking your power and authority.
2: Yes. Yeah. So NVC is a way of taking my power and authority in a compassionate way. Not in a, right. not, Not a power over, but...
0: Power, power with. with, so it's shared power. <laughs>
1: okay, so let let's talk
0: about this since you oh, bring actually this up.
1: Uh, let me just throw in one other um, thing that that exercise did for me. Mm-hmm. Um, th- sometimes I have in my office a, a, a card of the Saint Francis prayer. Mm-hmm. Which, Make um, yes, which made me a channel. Yes, which used to irritate the heck out of me. That prayer it used to annoy me so much. And this is uh, that exercise was how, what I say is how I made peace with the Saint Francis prayer. Because I used to say, no, darn it, I want someone to love me. I want someone to understand me. I want someone to listen to me. But then I said, oh, I get it. Because now I can feel that feeling of what it feels like to be understood or loved or whatever. Um, I can remove the story. And now I'm just channeling it. So I'm getting it from the universe. And since I'm just being filled with it from the universe, I can spread it out to... Um, that's what I get for talking with my hands while I'm on the radio. I can spread it out to um, to whoever is is around me, um, so it it just feels so much better to you know to not be coming from a place of deficit.
2: And when I spread it out, it also flows back to me. It
1: does because the
2: whole community starts getting imbued. So it's not that I'm always sending it necessarily out because it also in. As people build more skills and empathy, I'm more likely to receive empathy from other people. And it's also
1: coming through me. Yes. I mean, I can't be sending it out. It's not like I'm giving some limited quantity of, of something. I, I'm receiving it. It's, I'm a conduit. Um, I, I think that's kind of how Reiki works. Well, I was
0: just thinking about all these things, that very thing as you were talking. I I, I was listening, but I was also thinking about that. Yeah, that it's this whole concept of in in many uh, energetic realms of healing and health that you're you're channeling the energy through you it 's not necessarily just coming from you um, because you could get tapped out and pretty exhausted, mm, and people do and it 's like I was thinking about it just in day to day. if somebody keeps asking you know people keep asking you to do this all the time or do that, you know and you're doing you're going to get exhausted after a while mm-hmm. and and when you look at it as it's flowing through you and not just all by your own effort, there seems to be much more to go around. Mm. Actually, you could
2: say nothing's by our own effort because we're only here because of all the causes and conditions that brought me to this moment. Mm -hmm. We are inter inter interbeing exists. I'm only who, who I am in this moment because of all the other things that have happened throughout space and time that have brought me here. And I'm wondering if you'd like some specifics about empathy. Yeah, that would be great. Okay, so um, I often talk about the fact that there's three levels of listening, and so we're going to get to um, the level of listening from empathy or calm presence. I also want to just say up front, there's nothing wrong with any of these three levels of listening. It's can I be aware of where I'm listening from, because each one has an important uh, component. It's a p- it's an important time to listen from all these various levels so the first level well actually now i'm realizing there's a fourth level we all learned it in middle school and it's pretending to listen right so i want to acknowledge that that's sort of like uh level one pretending to listen Mm -hmm. we can look at the speaker our eyes are open our face looks engaged but our minds are somewhere else so Mm -hmm. i just want to acknowledge that okay Mm -hmm. then the next level of listening is listening for intellectual understanding this is when I start asking who, what, where, how long, when did that start to happen? What, you know, how long did it last? We think we're um, helping people by gaining intellectual information about a situation. Now, if I was a, a client of Terry's in the initial interview, this would be important for her to ask intellectual understanding questions that's her job mm-hmm. right? Usually,
1: usually in the first interview I say tell me about yourself
2: uh-huh <laughs> and you're partly you're going to be listening for some information I'm maybe not I just projected what I thought okay, right. might right. be right. what I not exactly
1: conventional
2: okay yeah. so but there are times when we want to understand the details mm-hmm. right then another level of listening is listening from sympathy And that is, as I'm listening to you, my own emotional state gets activated. The reality is, is when I'm in the intellectual understanding, I'm trying to compose the questions, or my emotional body is getting activated by what you're saying, I'm actually not listening to you anymore. Right. All right. So to me, empathy is the time when I can be listening with a lot of energy and attention, but from an inner calm place. My mind is not busy composing questions, and my emotional body isn't busy getting stimulated and activated. Now, in spiritual practices, is this the realm of detachment? Uh, I don't experience it as detachment. Okay. Um, But maybe that's uh, my inner involvement right now with what detachment means. Okay. I actually am very energetically focused on you but there is a level my emotional state is detached mm-hmm. um so i'm playing with your with your question no that I'm, I'm that's good i'm glad yeah so how i get ready to listen from this place of calm presence is to get into my body so that i'm not just listening with my ears and my mind so i start feeling my feet on the floor i feel my contact points with my chair if i'm sitting I might even try to feel the contact of my clothes on my skin. I really want to be in me. And, and I generate a lot of energy in me. And then when I'm listening to empathetic presence with you, I open up that energy towards you. I actually don't need to understand you. You could be speaking a language I totally don't understand. My mind can't make sense of anything you're saying. But I'm offering you like as much of 100% of my presence as possible. That to me is listening from a place of empathy. And how does that enrich
0: enrich both people's health?
1: Well, I was just thinking, I have a patient who uh, had a stroke recently and her language is totally unintelligible to anyone. But I've found that just by listening with my being um i don't always know intellectually what it is she's saying but i can i and i'm not even sure how i would describe what it is that i receive in the communication but i am getting a sense of her that that i don't think i would get just that i couldn't get just from words
0: so it goes beyond words and you're feeling
2: this heart connection Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so then i think it it uh, nurtures connection, belonging, acceptance, acknowledgement, all these places where we get caught that we're alone, all these things that that uh, generate mental dis ease. Mm-hmm. So, so I that think feeling that's. of
0: being cut off, and in yes. this realm of empathetic, communic- nonviolent communication, you feel part of the. Community or part of the other. There's a connection. Yes, and so it's the disconnect. Then, then what I say in the other uh, realm, it's the disconnect mm-hmm. that makes us sick. And that's the disconnecting all from ourselves, disconnecting from community, the disconnect from right. from source. Mm-hmm. And, and
1: that's the uh, the Chinese saying about all sickness is homesickness, is when we get sick because we're no longer connected with our our. Higher self, our authentic self, our community our you know our our being
0: this is Cynthia Swan, and you're listening to healthy options and we're having a discussion about nonviolent communication and empathy and how that affects our health we're at eighty nine point nine in blue hill ninety nine point nine f m in Bangor and on the web at weru.org. And I'm here with my guests, Peggy Smith, nonviolent communication instructor, and Dr. Terry Lee Cookson, naturopathic doctor in Augusta. So let's talk more about that, about the homesickness. All, what was that? You said all sickness is homesickness? Right. <coughs> from, from that, that's from a uh, TCM? Um, well, uh, classical Chinese medicine, yes. And, and so it's the, so it, what it's saying is there's this disconnect.
1: Right, right. So, <clears throat> excuse me, um, um, we look at signs and symptoms as being the shadow of the disharmony. <clears throat> um,
0: you need to take a drink. I do, thank you. <laughs> we'll, we'll let you take a drink. So signs and symptoms is <clears throat> being the shadow. So we're talking shadow, about right. a yin, yang. <clears throat> um, no, not, no, that, kind of
1: not that kind of shadow. No, not that kind of shadow? excuse me sorry so shadow side like uh no it's like a silhouette oh okay so it's a, the map is not the territory kind of a thing um the signs and symptoms aren't really what's wrong they're just a a, a marker kind of like how a, a feeling is a marker of what the need underneath is um so signs and symptoms are a marker for what the imbalance is what the disharmony is um and so we can use the signs and symptoms as a way of of seeing what is where is the disharmony. Is it actually on a physical level? Is it on a mental-emotional level? Is it on a, a spiritual level? And we also say that the body um, is the loving slave of the mind and spirit. It will take on imbalances in the mind and spirit so that those they don't have to. Um, dementia is a, is an example of when the body doesn't take it on. The body stays healthy and the mind and spirit... Uh, drift away hmm. um, So when when you have physical symptoms This is actually the, the mind and spirit saying We're out of balance Would you please look at this And you know We we have come to accept that With things like ulcers Okay an ulcer That means I'm worried too much Or I'm stressed too much Or I'm working and eating At the same time Or something like that But you know We can apply that To any, any kind of pain
2: Any you know? kind of pain Anywhere in the body hmm and Marshall Rosenberg, because he was a clinical psychologist, that's mm-hmm. was his uh, work. He he would say often that most of the things we call mental disease um, is actually people just being so disconnected from themselves. How do you help someone connect to themselves is to listen to them from this energetic, empathetic place. That when someone can be heard even in their through their pain, from this place of total acceptance, that that helps people reconnect, come back to their mental health he
1: He describes a wonderful um, experiment that he did. Um, he was at a mental hospital in Chicago, I think, and correct me if i 've got this wrong because I read this years and years ago. But um, on the third floor, he had people, um, you know, clinical psychologists practicing their specialty, you mm-hmm. know, whatever, whatever form of, of therapy it was. On the second floor, he had a group of psychologists who were practicing a specific therapy. And on the first floor, he had people off the street come in and just listen to people, just really listen. And um, <clears throat> the people who showed the most improvement were the people who were heard as opposed to the expert um, therapies.
2: And actually, I think that was um, something that Marshall went through. Uh, that was Carl Rogers. Carl Rogers did that work, and Marshall was a direct student of Carl Rogers. Right. Uh-huh. So so
0: Carl Rogers, another um, Psy- clinical, clinical psychologist. <laughs> I,
2: I used to call him the father of humanistic psychology, but I now call him the grandfather of humanistic psychology because uh, – we're all getting older. <laughs> the generations come on. I don't know if this will help uh, as in another story. Uh, once at one of my introductory workshops, uh, there was a man who was there because his wife asked him to come for her birthday present. So when he said, honey, what do you want for your birthday? She said, I want you to come to this training. So he had spent much of the weekend with his arms folded, mm-hmm. uh, but he was there. And then we got to the part of the... Um, workshop where we're practicing how to listen from empathy. We do this actively in the workshop. And I had an odd number of people. So I said, is there anyone willing to, instead of participating directly, to observe a group? His hand was up before I'd even finished making the request. Oh, good. Yeah. He's thinking, oh, good. I
0: don't have to do this. I don't have to do this.
2: Right. So uh, the first uh, session, he was observing another group. And then there was, we were in the in-between ready to switch roles. And I went over to him and I said, you know, I, I didn't, I could, I could listen to you from presence and still track the time if you would like me to hold presence for you during the second part. And he said, oh, no, 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 I'm happy just observing. So I said, okay. And I go and I settle in and I'm just about to start. And then he's right there. And he said, you know, I'm realizing being listened to like that terrifies me. So I think I'll do it. Wow. Wow. So he sat, and during his time, he actually shared a story of something that happened to him when he was a young man, 18 or 19, and as a result of what someone said to him, he decided to enlist in the Army, and he went off to a tour of duty in Vietnam. And I listened to this from this place of calm presence. I said nothing, Mm -hmm. but I was energetically listening, and when his time was over, Um, he thanked me. But at the end of the workshop, he gave me a card, and he said, no one has ever listened to that story without feeling sorry for me before. Mm -hmm. And it's such a relief Mm -hmm. to be able to say my story without someone feeling sorry for me. It was a symphony. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So many of us want to be able to express our pain, our traumas, without being held as a victim it's by saying it and expressing it and cleaning it out that it can relieve some of this deep pain that we hear. And when someone's other emotions get activated hearing us, then all of a sudden we're not with ourselves anymore. We're taking care of them. or mm-hmm. feeling bad that we, we're quote, feeling- made them feel bad, right. Right. okay? So being able to develop the power of listening from presence, not that I do it in every conversation, but when it's called for, mm-hmm. I have this skill ready to turn on. That is such a great gift to many people. And it's such a great gift when other people learn it so that they can offer it to me. <laughs> mm-hmm. 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 Now, how,
0: how does one, if, if one feels that sympathy crop up, you're saying they're not practicing empathy.
2: Well, that it's hard for empathy to be present when my own emotional body is being activated. And
0: does one? And so, if that happens, I'm I'm just playing devil's advocate here. So, if if um, in the mo in all these other realms, he was telling the story mm-hmm. and people were having an emotional reaction mm-hmm. of feeling sad or sorry for him. Mm-hmm. In this realm, would it have been their – I know if you're going to say so, I'm going to just put it out there, their job to not go there and just be able to be present and and practice empathy and, and squelch their sense of sympathy or feeling sorry for them? Mm.
2: So a couple different things. One is we can't offer what we don't know. So it's not like someone didn't do their job. They reacted, they worked with what material they had. So no blame, no shame. No blame, no that. shame. Okay. <laughs> okay. And when I'm listening to someone's story, sometimes I can notice that emotional body starting to get activated. And what I do is, one, return to those things that I did to get ready. My feet are on my the floor. My feet are on the floor. I can, f- can I feel the pulse in my fingers? You know, whatever it is is my So you're technique.
0: distracting yourself from going to that place of sympathy,
2: well, hold on. I'm a, give me just a moment to think, okay, Cynthia, sorry. okay? Because, I, one, I want to be aware. Oh, emotions are happening. I tried to get back into my body. And then if I – whatever was cre- coming up in that emotion, I want to say to it, I'll come back to you. Please step over here for a minute. I'm talking to that part of my body. Mm-hmm. Come sit over here because I really want to be with Cynthia right now. Come back to Cynthia. That's what I'm saying into my – Mind. And see, not okay. only that, I want to come back to the wholeness in Cynthia, the W-H-O-L-E, whole, the mm-hmm. whole part of Cynthia that's in there, even if right now she's connected to her H-O-L-E, her whole, her right. problem, right. she's connected to her pain, I'm there sitting with her W-H-O-L-E, her wholeness, even though right now she's not connected to it. I'm being present with that part of her. that I do that in my mind, and then if I can't, if I notice that my emotions are so strong that I can't do it, then I'd be honest with that. You know, I'd really like to be in presence with you right now, and I'm realizing uh, my emotions are really strong. Uh, I need to take a break, you know, so I don't want to mm-hmm. put on the mask of empathy. Right. So I want to be sincere, and my sense is that the joy – See, it's not work to be an empathetic presence. It's a joy. Most of the time, that part of me that's starting to well up is willing to step aside so that I can finish this joy over here, mm-hmm. knowing that I will come back to it, so that I, and I don't abandon it and not come back to it. If I said, I'll, ta- I'll come back to you later, I do that. Or I make a date with one of my empathy buddies so that they'll be in presence with that pain. Mm-hmm. I always want to track that. I, I want to, ju- we, we just
0: have a few more minutes remaining, and I wanted to, um, I heard Marshall Rosenberg say um, uh, something to the effect of, and we've been talking about this, alluding to this, um, how we make life wonderful, that we can make life wonderful in each moment. So how, 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 how can we do that? I mean, is this like a utopian ideal or do you, Peggy, really believe that we can live that life, a life that is wonderful in each moment through this,
2: for want of a better word for me, process? Mm. Uh, I think it's a, just a really deep question. And so I'm, I'm not wanting to have a snappy answer. Okay. Uh, because I understand how much of my own life is comes from my conditioning, and so there's a part of me that go gets almost scared when I hear Marshall say We can live a life where but i of wonder in wonderment, and yet I do have experience that I can make my life more wonderful i can make I do believe we can make everyone's life more wonderful by living it purposely by choosing. Which way I want to look at life, I in every moment I could make it worse, or I could make it better. If I know how, if i'm if I'm connected to my inner resources, to know that I'm oh, I'm in chair one right now or I'm in chair two, sometimes I don't know that I can change. You know my inner resources are depleted, but when my inner resources are strong, I go, "Oh, I could make life more wonderful by stepping over into chair three and then maybe even into chair four. So I do think we can make life more wonderful, for sure. By not doing it, I'm pretty guaranteed we will continue to make life a lot less wonderful.
0: Well, that most people will sit in the blame-shame chair of one and two, blaming the other, blaming the self in chair two, and not
2: moving themselves along to chair three of feeling and Yes, and saying, well, I'll be more honest or I'll be more trusting when you do it first. Well, that's always um, wanting to see the outside
0: change. Yeah. And, I, and I keep thinking about I think it was Wayne Dyer who said that uh, when you change the way you look at things, the world changes and i that's what um what this discussion about nonviolent communication is this is the what kind of comes to my mind is that your that nonviolent communication is a way to really connect with who one authentically is and then when you do that you don't have to work as hard it's just naturally things open up and shift and you're you can ride that wave of um well, I would call it bliss, but I think it would be different. People would call it different things. And
2: to understand that humans are innately compassionate, and um, our violence is from conditioning, and so reclaiming our innate compassionate self—it's—it's it's not a, a, an instant wand. It changes all my conditioning. But it's a very strong way to empower myself to have more options than I've been conditioned to have. Indeed.
0: In, in these parting few minutes, is there anything that either one of you, um, Dr. Terry Lee Cookson, that you would like to add, or Peggy Smith, nonviolent communication, that you'd want to say that could sum up or just something you want listeners to think
1: about? The body will hold on to memories and stories um, until they're resolved. Um, I've seen people, um, you know, with GI distress that because of witnessing, you know, her brother being killed and she took on the responsibility. I've seen, uh, you know, I've seen a lot Mm -hmm. of different things. The body will store memories, uh, will store the stories until they get resolved. And this is a way of being able to unblock those. So that you can actually start to look at and what those stories are. What is it that we're holding on to? Let them go, resolve them, love them, thank them, and uh, and you know, uh, kind of a, a burying the dead. You know, you don't have to keep carrying around every uh, injustice that that you perceived. Mm. Does that make sense?
2: It did for me, and I want to say it's like the letting go isn't this you should let them go. Right. They dissolve. It's more, to me, maybe a dissolving of them as opposed to a purposeful letting them go.
1: The thing about trauma is trauma stays alive. It stays present. Even though it was 5, 10, 20, 50 years ago, it's still alive. It's still present right here and now. And one of the things that we do is, is let it go into the past. So Mm. it's still there. The memory is there. The story is there. But it's more like watching a movie as opposed to reliving the trauma, reliving, reliving. Um, So it it gets to go into the past so that then you can have present.
2: Mm. And one of my uh, NBC uh, teachers, Robert Gonzalez, says, most of us are adults walking into our future looking backwards. So we're, you know, we're moving into our future, but we're dragging, we're looking back all the pain and suffering that is behind us. And this process helps me turn around and walk into my future looking where I'm going. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean the past isn't there, but I'm looking where where the future is. And I think for humanity, that's the gift that I would love us all to uh, take up. That's great. And on that note, I want to
0: thank listeners for tuning into this segment of healthy options on nonviolent communication and empathy and health and my guests Peggy Smith nonviolent communication instructor and Dr. Terry Lee Cookson naturopathic doctor in Augusta thank thanks you for so listening much for
1: having
2: us yeah it's been a great joy to be here thank you thank you